So last week we talked about immigration. And I shared, I shared four big picture biblical principles that if you're a believer, these should be driving how you think about immigration. So start off with every person is made in the image of God. Second, the Bible is a story of migrations. It's full of them. Third is that the Bible is consistently advocating for the powerless. And fourth, the story of them, whoever you see the other is, the story of them is really the story of us. Now, if you weren't here last week, and that sounds interesting to you, go, go to our website, pull it up on our app, the, the sermon's up there, go ahead and catch up with last week. So this week, we're going to hit the second part of this little mini-series, which is the Bible and the law. What is the Christian relationship with law and government? And, and so that's what we're going to hit. And so to do that, I want us to go back in time. I want us to go back in time to June 14th. So a little less than a month. Now, that was, that was really at the height of the immigration crisis going on recently. Okay? President Trump's zero-tolerance policy had been enforced for about a couple months by that point. Um, and the media outlets had started picking up that families, parents, and children were being separated. And we saw pictures, we saw videos, and there was a really large public outcry against it. So that's the context that a really interesting thing happened. Attorney General Jeff Sessions uh, was giving a speech, and he said something that, at least for me, was very unexpected. And then later that same day, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders echoed something similar to what uh, A.G. Sessions had said earlier in the day. And I actually have these two video clips, these two news clips that I want us to watch. So in case you hadn't seen these or aren't familiar, you can see what I'm talking about. So after these two press conferences, an incredible thing happened. Every single news outlet was writing about Romans 13. Time, Newsweek, New York Times, even Star Trib. Everybody was seeking out theologians to try to understand what was this reference that A.G. Sessions made. What does Romans 13 really say? And some of the stuff that you'll, you'll read online is, excuse me, very good, very accurate, and some of the stuff was not. And so it was actually that press conference that day and the aftermath of it that got me thinking, you know, I really should teach on Romans 13. And to kind of give my take on what I read and prayerfully studying through it. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the passage that Sessions directly referenced and Huckabee Sanders indirectly referenced. And so that's, it's the first few verses of Romans, Romans 13, 1 through 5. Um, and we're going to start, I'm just going to read the whole passage, and then we'll go through and kind of explain it as we go. So here we go. Again, this is Romans 13, 1 through 5. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities... For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. 
For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. That's Romans 13, and that's that's what A.G. Sessions was referring to. Now, if you're a little troubled by this passage, I get it. So was I. And I still am, even after studying and understanding it better. Because it is a little troubling. It seems very straightforward. Quite simply, you must follow the rules of the government because God has ordained governmental authority for our good. That's kind of a summary of the passage. And my guess is right now the questions rolling around in your head aren't, what did that mean? It's not a matter of, I don't understand what that passage was. I'm guessing it's more, is that really true? I don't think that's really true. And you might even be having objections. You might be reading some of this and be like, no way. That's not my experience of America or of governmental authorities. And you might start having some objections. So for today, rather than explaining through the passage, because the truth is it is pretty straightforward, I actually want to craft today's message around three objections. These are three of the more common objections that you might be thinking and that I'll often read about Romans 13. So first, their situation isn't like ours. Second, is Every government leader appointed by God? Really? Everyone? And then third, do we always have to follow the rules of the government? Those are kind of the three most common objections. And my guess is at least one of those was floating through your mind a few minutes ago. So that's what we're going to talk about. But first, I want to give a general overview, a really quick overview of the passage. Like I said, it's pretty straightforward. But So here's Paul's argument. Paul says that the government is God's institution, so therefore Christians should submit to the government. And then he provides two reasons for this. One, fear of punishment, and two, obedience for conscience' sake. And that's the paragraph. <laughs> there, and what's interesting about this is it, is it seems pretty simple and straightforward. Notice the passage doesn't leave a whole lot of wiggle room. Paul doesn't include any buts or ifs or exceptions or asterisk with fine print down at the bottom. No, there's none of that in there. So is this passage really saying what it seems to be saying? That's where the objections come in. So let's start with the first one. Their situation isn't like ours, or maybe isn't like our modern day situation. Well, if you were thinking that, you're right. Their situation is not like ours. In fact, it was worse. It was way worse. 
So Romans is believed to be written around 55, 57 A.D. And it was written, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote it to Christians who were living in Rome. And at that time, the Roman emperor was a guy named Nero. And if you know anything about Roman history, you probably recognize that name. He is universally uh, considered to be the worst, most corrupt, most violent, and most cruel emperor Rome had during, during the emperor period. He was terrible. And one of the many atrocities he did was killing Christians. And so, so that's, that's the state that Paul is writing to the, the Christians in Rome. Under a ruler that is unparalleled, certainly here in America and in most of the world. Nero really stands out at the top of the list of really bad world leaders. And yet, still, Paul writes, verse 1, let everybody be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Really? Even Nero, the worst of the worst? Paul would say, yeah even Nero. Now that leads to the second objection. Is, is every government leader appointed by God? Really? Even Nero? And I'm sure the Roman Christians were thinking that. But for us in the modern age, it's impossible to, to listen or read this verse without thinking about people like Hitler, Mussolini, Kim Jong-un, or his father Kim Jong-il, some of the modern dictators, Coney 2012, any of those of recent years who were horrible, evil people, are those people really appointed by God? And if so, how? How could a good God actually appoint such evil? Well, Paul would answer, yes, they are. Any leader you can think of, Yes, they are appointed by God. And depending on, on your political leanings, yes, Obama was appointed by God. And yes, Trump was appointed by God. Each one would say the other wasn't, but that's not what Paul says. So how is this true? How is this possibly true? Well, let me tell you about three people, three leaders out of the Bible from different eras of Scripture. So first was an Old Testament king named Jeroboam. Now, he was the worst. He literally was the worst of Israel and Judah's 30-plus kings. He drove the country into civil war. He set up false idols. He instituted practices of worship of foreign God. He led the nation into sin. In fact, he's the guy that all the other bad kings are referred back to. Basically, the rest of Scripture says, yeah, he, this guy's so bad, he's just like Jeroboam, or he's not even as bad as Jeroboam. He's the guy that the Bible references as the worst of the kings. And even Jeroboam, here's what God said about him. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. Really? Jeroboam? 
Next one. There was also a Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar. If you're familiar with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar. He was the Babylonian king, and he was brutal. He destroyed Jerusalem. He burnt down the temple. He killed a bunch of Jews and then took all the ones that he didn't kill into captive slavery in Babylon. That was Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what God said about Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I will give you all, give, give all your countries into the hands of my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Really? He was God's servant? See, that makes no sense. We could even fast forward from there and talk about Pontius Pilate, the one re responsible for executing Jesus. See, the two of them had this fascinating conversation. And this was, this was hours before Jesus was executed. And, and Pilate said to him, don't you realize I have the authority to free you or crucify you? Don't you realize I have that authority? And Jesus said the most amazing thing to him. Here's what he said. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Pilate had no authority unless it had been given from God. So, if three of the worst leaders in all of Scripture, if, if they were put there by God, then, yeah, all the other leaders you can think of, they too were appointed by God. Even the ones you think are horrible, and the one that history has shown to be horrible. But there's a catch. And this is the thing that makes sense. If you're having a hard time making sense of this, this is the thing that will make sense out of it. Okay, and here it is. That just because a leader is appointed by God, it doesn't mean that he is doing godly things or is even has God's approval. God consistently used leaders to bring blessing to a people and to bring curses to a people. God used Pilate to save our souls. God uses leaders. So just because you see the words that this leader is established by God or appointed by God or chosen by God. Or this passage used the, the servant, leaders are my servants. That does not mean they are godly people or they do godly things. It doesn't even mean that the things they do are even approved by God as part of his desire for our world, his creation. What it means is they are agents of God, that God is using every ruler that has ever existed for God's sovereign plan. Notice that's not our plan. It's not my vision of America or my desire for Europe. No, it's God's sovereign plan. So just because you hear this idea that God appoints or establish leaders, don't think for a second that it means Therefore, what they are doing is godly, because that is not true. 
but they are being used by God. And somehow, they are part of God's sovereign plan. For instance, it's really hard for me to picture Richard Nixon as part of God's sovereign plan for America. Because between Nixon and the Vietnam War, I think that was really kind of the, the downturn in the trust in government and the government's trustworthiness. And all of a sudden, the political conversation changed forever because of that. And it seems like America is kind of worse off now. The level of political discourse right now is terrible. And if you trace it back, it kind of goes back to that era. So I don't know what God's sovereign plan is, but I know he has one. Because my thoughts are not his thoughts. So, let's talk about the last objection. Last objection. Do we always have to follow the rules of the government? Do we always have to follow the rules? Mostly, yes. That's what Romans 13 says. All the time, no. There are rare occasions, and there is a place for Christian civil disobedience. There has been throughout history, great men and great women have used Christian civil disobedience to change the course of the nation. So there is a place for it, but it is not the norm. I I firmly believe that Romans 13 says the norm is that we are to obey the law as Christians, but there is a place disobedience or resistance to governmental authority. We see it in Scripture. We actually see it a lot of times, a number of times in Scripture. In Exodus 1, the midwives broke the law and then lied about it when they were commanded to kill all male babies. That was, in fact, how Moses survived. So later on in Joshua 2, Rahab disobeyed the king of Jericho She disobeyed the king's rule, and she did not report the Israelite spies who came in. She disobeyed the law. Uh, Later in the book of Daniel, we have a a couple instances of civil disobedience. A a few Israelites refused to worship a, a foreign idol. That was against God's law. Later on, Daniel, he even disobeyed a direct order not to worship Yahweh God. So we see it there. Even in Acts, we go ahead to the New Testament. In Acts, we see it, where Peter and John were ordered not to speak the name of Jesus. And they had a great response. They said, we must obey God rather than human beings. So we see it. We see it all throughout Scripture. And there are even a couple more references that I didn't even include. So there is a place for it, okay? There is a place to resist the government. But here's the catch. There's not a whole lot of guidance in the Bible about what should drive us. What are the conditions where it's okay to disobey the law? The Bible doesn't give a whole lot of guidance. So so here's a good baseline guide. If the law ever commands you to kill, to never pray, or to never speak the name of Jesus. It's probably a good bet 
God would approve you, you disobeying those laws. Because those are what we see in Scripture. If you think all the examples in Scripture of civil disobedience are extreme examples. It's not, I don't like how the government uses my tax money, so I'm not paying taxes. We never see that. In fact, we see the exact opposite. The verse just following this paragraph says, oh, and by the way, pay your taxes. Okay? So we're not talking little things. What we consistently see in Scripture are huge, large violations of God's law. Okay? So if you ever find yourself considering civil disobedience, intentionally breaking the law, if it doesn't involve you killing people or never being able to pray or never speak in the name of Jesus, if it doesn't include that, I implore you, seek God. Pray. Read Scripture. Talk to Christians whom you respect and admire. Because it is not as simple as black and white as saying, I don't like that, so I'm not going to do that. So, for instance, um, a couple months ago, back when all of this was exploding, I saw someone's post on Facebook, and it said that I did, and it was about the whole immigration policy. I disagree with this law. God's law is love, and God's law is higher than the law of the land, so I'm not going to follow it. And as, as I can see, I mean, that comes from a good place, but it's way too oversimplified. It really is. Civil disobedience is not a simple thing unless it's in, in the clear, egregious stage of against God's law. So pray deeply. If you're ever faced with an actual situation where you are choosing to break or considering breaking the law, please pray deeply, seek wise counsel, and see if it's really what God is wanting you to do. Because what he's wanting you to do would be to violate Romans 13.1. There's a place for it. You just have to make sure God's calling you to it. Now, I said there were two reasons, okay? Um, so the second reason is that it's this nature of the word submit or, or be subject to. Those are both translations of the same word. Now, this idea of submitting is something that we find all throughout the New Testament. In fact, Christians, Christians are called to submit to the government, in such as this passage, submit to our spiritual leaders. That's if, if you're a member of River Life, that's me, your pastor. Okay? Wives are called to submit to their husbands. Slaves are called to submit to their masters. We are even called to submit to one another. So just in case you think there's any hierarchy going on over here, Everybody has to submit to everybody else. That pretty much levels the playing field. Okay? But in all of these cases, it doesn't give the second person the right to be sinful, cruel, or abusive. That's not what submission is. Submission does not empower the person above to abuse the person below. Submission is a call for the person to understand and to acknowledge that there are people and institutions that God has placed around us that have the right to our respect. 
and our deference. They have the right to be honored. And political institutions are one of those things. And that's probably, that's probably my, my biggest criticism in, in today's political climate. It's probably my biggest criticism of the left right now in the way that m- many Democrats and left-leaning folks are speaking of our president. Because like him or not, he is the president. So I believe something like Romans 13 can speak directly against something like the Not My President movement. Last year, it kind of has died out, but if you remember that from last year, people were saying, well, I didn't vote for him, so he's not my president. Sorry, America doesn't really work that way. And for believers, it definitely doesn't work that way. Because the office of the president and whoever is holding it, he deserves our respect. Or, or the recent spat of people who have been publicly shaming members of the Trump administration in restaurants and things. Have you been following this? It's happened, it's happened three different times. People have been driven out of rest, restaurants simply because they work for the president. That type of thing, I believe, directly violates for a Christian. For a non-Christian, they're doing what they want. But for a believer, I believe it directly violates this call to be subject to government, to offer the honor and respect that the leaders deserve. Not because the people deserve it, but because God deserves it. And so hopefully, if you've wrestled with this question of civil disobedience and when to disobey, you are doing it respectfully and prayerfully. So, like I said, three objections, three answers. First, the situation isn't anything like ours. You're right. It was way worse. Second, is every government leader appointed by God? Yes, the good ones and the bad ones. And third, do we always have to follow the rules of the government? Mostly, yes. And in rare, extreme occasions, no. But you have to do it respectfully and prayerfully. So, I want to close with two things. First is a little bit of reflections on A.G. Sessions' statement particularly where I think he kind of missed the boat a little bit. And then then second, I want to take it and I want to bring it down to earth a little bit. I want to make it a little practical for all of us. So first, Jeff Sessions' statement. One, I absolutely loved seeing every secular media outlet writing about Romans 13 and, and asking scholars. I mean, it's amazing to see the Bible that pervasive throughout America. So for that, it was kind of cool. But... I did see some problems with how he chose to use Romans 13. First was he he said that Romans 13 tells people to obey the law. And as we saw, that's not entirely correct. Romans 13 calls people to be subject to the governing authorities. That can often involve obeying the law, but it is not a blanket command to obey anything that is in the law. 
In fact, no Bible translation, not a single one uses the word obey in this passage. And I think that tells you something, because that's not what this passage is saying. It's about about the idea of being subject to, submitting under. Okay, second. And this one I actually believe is more important. This is, I think, the bigger issue. And this is one of power and Romans 13.1. See, Paul wrote this as an oppressed minority, a Christian, writing to other oppressed minorities, Christians. Now, Paul was a Roman citizen, and he wasn't in Rome at the time. But still, Christians were greatly being oppressed. So he wrote this from one oppressed person to other oppressed people. Now, that is very different than had this statement been made by the Roman authorities. See, picture that. If Rome had told the Christians, you were to be subject to the governing authorities, that's a whole nother ball game. See, that's why, so a similar situation, that's why Pofoa, my wife Pofoa, um, when we, earlier in the year, if you were here for our relationship series, um, I talked to, I preached on male headship, what that meant, and my wife preached on um, what submission looks like. Because to have a woman preaching to other women about submission is very different than having a man preach to women about submission. Because there's a power differential involved. And that's the thing that I believe Sessions and then Huckabee Sanders as well, they were kind of blind to. They were blind to the power differential that they used this verse to enforce their own authority. And that's not how Paul used it. Paul used it as an oppressed minority to encourage other oppressed minorities to honor the oppressive government above them. Whole different situation. So that's why I think, I think both of them, they really missed it on that one. And then third, there's one more issue that they seemed to kind of ignore or forget or not care about the history of politics and Romans 13. You see, this passage has been used for some pretty bad reasons. Romans 13.1 has been used to or was used historically to oppose the American Revolution, to defend slavery, to support Nazi rule in Germany, and to support apartheid in South Africa. This verse has been used to support some really bad things in history. And so I believe any person in power, myself included, even as a pastor of a church, should be very cautious about how this passage is used because it has such a history of abuse. And that was something that Sessions and Huckabee Sanders, they didn't seem to get and understand. Even with the follow-up interviews, they missed that one. So that's where I thought they, they really went wrong in referencing Romans 13. Now, what about us in our daily lives? Because chances are, over the next week, none of you are going to face a, a situation where you will have to stand up against an, an inhumane or unjust or um, law or immoral law. 
That's really unlikely this next week. But what does Romans 13.1 mean for us here? Very simply, it means Christians should obey the law. Sounds pretty simple. (laughs) Christians should obey the law. In fact, I believe that Christians should be the most law-abiding people because God says it. So, let me ask you. Are you sharing any Netflix passwords? Any other online accounts? Violating any other user agreements? See? It's easy when it's all abstract, isn't it? But we got to obey the law. Okay? How about downloading movies without paying for them? Going on any sites, downloading stuff where normally it's something you would pay for? If you're not paying for it, you're violating Romans 13.1. How about, have you ever lied on, on a form? Like for public assistance, insurance? You ever lied a little bit to get a little mon- extra money? Or been asked by your parents to lie so they could get more money? That's illegal. We as Christians should not be doing that. Okay, let's talk about driving. We all gulp. How about, how's your speeding? How often are you driving above the speed limit? How about using your phone while you're driving? That's now illegal, by the way, in case you didn't know that here in Minnesota. Um, How about driving without your seatbelt? Or shoving an extra person in the car more uh, more people than seatbelts you have in the car? All of that's illegal. All of that. See, Romans 13 says that we should be law-abiding people, including me and my lead foot and my cell phone. (laughs) We should. So lest you make this too abstract... It also hits us home where it hurts. We should be law-abiding people. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you. We thank you for the leaders you have put around us. They are part of your sovereign plan. God, we we can't understand, and I personally, I don't understand your plan, Lord but I trust you, and I trust that you are not like me. So you have a sovereign plan over everything here in America and around the globe. Lord, you also command us to pray for our leaders. Lord, so I pray for President Trump and, and his whole administration. God, that he can lead our country in a direction that pleases you. God, I also pray for the climate of conversation and dialogue here, Lord. I pray for um, graciousness, for kindness, and for peace here in America. Lord, I pray for us individually that that you convict us so that we choose to be law-abiding citizens, that we honor Romans 13 in our lives, as well as our philosophy and politics. God, you are good. You are sovereign. And we recognize you as such. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.